0: The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Happy Easter. My name's uh, Larry Stack. Uh, Community Bible Church has been my church family for the last uh, 28 years. Um, Read with me uh, today's scripture reading from John... uh, fourteen verses one through four. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to a place to prepare for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may also be also. And you know the way to where I am going Thank you Larry you guys can have a seat and I would encourage you to turn to John 14 if you attend here on a regular basis you know that th- we are just we're just continuing this morning in our regular exposition of the gospel of John as I was looking at Easter text or potential Easter text and I got to John 14 I went I think this is gonna work so we're just gonna keep going this morning There's something comforting about Easter morning, is there not? Especially when it's bright and sunny like it was today. Something comforting about waking up and um, the Christian culture that we live in because we're in the Bible Belt, you can't help but be reminded of the fact that he is risen. But what also kind of strikes me is that so often we wake up not with a comforting demeanor, not with a hopeful and joyous reality. Often we can wake up in discomfort, we can wake up distressed, we can wake up with kind of the agony of the soul. So often when we come to church, even on Easter morning, we can think that we have to put on some plastic persona of that we have everything all together, that we're living a comfortable life. But I just want to tell you that this morning, at least here, you don't have to do that. Because our Lord understood the discomfort of this world. He understood the pain that we go through. When I was thinking about just the comfort of Scripture, because Scripture is offers so much comfort, I know when I have those moments of agony, distress, anxiety, I so quickly, you know, drop to my knees and pray, but then I frantically search Scripture for some sort of comfort, some sort of hope. There's a couple passages that always come to mind when I think of passages of comfort. There's actually passages that a reformer by the name of Thomas Kramer all the way back in 1500 kind of identified. If there's like four passages that we should turn to, he actually called them the comfortable words. And he would remind the people in his church about these comfortable word, words every single week. So I thought this morning, as, we are, as I hope this is going to be a comfort to us all, that we would start with those comfortable words. So let's hear this. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. First Timothy 1, 15, it's saying it's trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. Last, 1 John 2, 1 through 2, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. These words that I just had the privilege of proclaiming upon you is a comfort to our soul because what it points to is that we can rest because Christ came to take on flesh to live the life that you and I so desperately need to live the life that God requires us to live that perfect life but he came and lived a life that we could not to die on the cross that we deserve so that we might have his righteousness if I can use a big word imputed given to us declared upon us so that we can stand before God not in fear but in comfort. But there's one more comfortable word that I want to share with all of us this morning, and it is what John 14 proclaims. Because John 14 is a profound proclamation of comfort. Just hear it again. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. You know the first thing that jumps out about this text? God cares about the emotional well being of your soul. That's what troubled is talking about. Let not your hearts be distressed. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be anxious. Let not your hearts have agony on it. Believe in God. Believe also in me. He's concerned for your heart and your mind and your emotions. Now, I just want to put it in context for us all to remind us of what we looked at last week. And if you're joining us for the first time, just to give you a little bit of context of what we've been looking at. This is the Upper Room Discourse. This is the last time that Jesus is going to speak with his disciples. He is hours away from dying on the cross. This is Thursday evening, if you put it within in the span of the Passion Week or the Holy Week. And if you could think about the last, our last sermon last week, what we looked at. We looked at three things that are extremely distressing and troubling to his disciples. The first thing we looked at was that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And it wasn't going to be somebody from the outside like they thought wasn't going to be the Roman officials. It wasn't going to be the chief priest of the Pharisees. It wasn't going to be the people. No, the, people, the person who's going to betray Jesus is inside the camp, is among the 12. That caused the disciples to start questioning, is it me, Lord? Am I the one who's going to throw you under the bus? Am I the one who's going to betray you? Am I the one who's going to cause all of this pain? So that was the first thing they heard. Second thing they heard was that Jesus was going to leave them. I'm going away, and where I'm going, you can't come. Now, these men have been traveling with him for three and a half years, and Jesus has taken them to places that they would never go on their own. They would have bypassed Samaria, but Jesus takes them to Samaria. They would have stayed away from Jerusalem on many moments, but Jesus takes them to Jerusalem. They have been traveling with Jesus, and what they have realized is, where Jesus is, I am safe. If I can just stick with him, he's good to go. And all of a sudden, Jesus now says, where I'm going, you can't come. And now they're like, but I've gone with you this far. Why can't I go further? And then the third thing, I think the one that really hit home, not only was one of them going to betray Jesus, all of them, even Peter, was going to deny him before the day's end. This is the scene in the room. I mean, imagine these guys who thought they had it all together. This is the scene. Can we just say that there is a level of discomfort and trouble and fear that exists here right now? You you know, it's just this anxiety is palpable among the table, like around the table. And Jesus looks at them and simply says, lovingly says, let not your hearts be troubled. So what? I just want also for us to notice, this is a command, but it's not a command that simply says, stop it. Jesus isn't simply saying, stop being troubled, because how well does that work for us, right? You're anxious, you're worried, you're in fear. If I were to walk up to you and go, well, just stop it. You go, I'm trying, and I can't. He does more than that, because our Christ is his comforter who understands the fact that He can't just tell us to remove some emotion so that we're we're living this life with this void in us. No, he realizes that there needs to be a greater emotion that comes in and rids us from the trouble and our distress. And what is that greater emotion? Trust. Trust me. Believe. Faith. So that's what's here. Believe in God. Believe also in me. What replaces this? Trouble, trust in God. Jesus reminds them that here, this, this word, believe in God, believe also in me. You won't believe the amount of pages of commentary spend on these are two imperatives, and should one be, in, uh, like, these are two verbs, but should this be an imperative? Should this be a uh, like declaration? What's going on here? I think this is how we should read it. You believe in God, you can also believe in me. You believe in the Father. Believe that I have what's best for you. Let not your hearts be troubled because I'm here. Can we just stop and consider the people sitting around the table at the moment? Judas is gone, so there's 11 disciples. This is an altogether crazy thing to remind these 11 men about. Trust in me, believe in me, have faith in me. Because this group of men, if there's any other group of men in human history that had a reason to believe it was these guys... They saw the miracles with their own eyes. They heard the debates, all of them. They got to ask the questions behind closed doors that we don't even know the answers to and the questions that have been asked. They personally have testified, you are the Christ, they get it. But in their moment of fear, they quickly forgot. In their moment of fear, they were troubled and saying, what is gonna happen? So what is Christ saying? Hold fast your confession faith. You believe me up until this point. Believe me in the future. I know you're troubled. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in me. Jesus is reminding them to hold fast to their confession, what they have seen, what they know to be true, and to remember who Jesus is. You know, this fight for the faith, I think, is truly the hardest part of the Christian life. So we can have so many moments of trouble. So much stuff comes in and tries to rid us of our assurance, of our hope, of our trust. So much. And here, Jesus, at, you know, in the last hour, if you get down to the very basic command, it is keep the faith. Keep trusting in me. Believe that I am who I say that I am. There's one more thing that I want to look at, though, before we venture further into this passage Maybe it's one that you've already picked up on. Jesus is a little bit of a hypocrite, at least on the surface here. A troubled Jesus is telling his disciples not to be troubled. Look at John 13, 21. Last description that we have of Jesus. Started our passage last week. If you are on my Bible, it's like the exact opposite page. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in spirit. Same word, same verb. There's no, you know, exegetical gymnastics going on here where one should be troubled and one should be something else. No, a troubled Jesus is telling his disciples not to be troubled. It's a little bit like pot calling the kettle black, if you're honest. And a cynical reader might look at this and say, well, if Jesus couldn't stop his troubled heart, why is he commanding us to stop our troubled heart? But this comparison between a troubled Jesus and should be an untroubled disciple is the heart of the gospel. Because hear this, because Jesus was troubled, we don't have to be. Because Jesus was troubled, his disciples both then and now don't have to be. Jesus was troubled so that you could sit here today and have assurance for your salvation. Now, what causes this Jesus' trouble? Let's, let's look at that for a minute. Well, what causes Jesus' trouble is that he knows that he is about to bear the burden of our deepest troubles. He's troubled because we're troubled. He's troubled because he knows how much garbage that we have. Jesus doesn't have any troubles. Jesus has no troubles. I mean, he has troubles with this world. He's a sinner because the darkness hates the light. But Jesus has no troubles. Get that. Because our greatest troubles are not with flesh and blood. No, it is with God, because we're sinners. That's our greatest troubles. That's what keeps us up at night. That's what is our greatest Is the one who can kill not only the body, but the body and the soul. That's our trouble. Jesus is troubled because he's taking on our troubles, because he's looking at the greatest troubles that ever were, our guilt, our shame, and the death that is required for the wages of sin. This is Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let me just imagine... It's hard to believe, and I can't wait for heaven in this way, but before sin, there were no troubles in this world. Before sin, there were no restless nights in the garden. Before sin, there were no broken hearts and lost dreams. Before sin, there were no shattered relationships and personal attacks. There was peace. Can you imagine that? Everything I just talked about, broken promises, broken expectations, broken hearts, lost dreams, shattered relationships, personal attacks. we, We just, you know, assume that to be true in this world. None of that. But sin came in and destroyed that peace and happiness. And Jesus came to earth to take on all that trouble. This is why in Hebrews, it can say that he can sympathize with us in our weakness. He can sympathize with us in our troubles. In Hebrews, what Hebrews is talking about is Christ came and took on our troubles. He literally said, I'll take that from you, onto myself. I'll be troubled so that you don't have to be. I'll stare down the barrel of God's wrath and stand in front of it and bear the full weight of it so that you can sit there and rest. I can... Proclaim to you this morning, let not your hearts be troubled. Why? Because Christ has done everything. That's what we actually believe in. In the gospel, that's what we actually believe in. That Christ has done everything. I mean, just imagine that Jesus has done it all and all of the fears of this world have been conquered. Romans eight thirty seven: We are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure listen to this list of troubles that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other anything else in creation is able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus you know in this way jesus is not saying and god is not saying that we're immune to the struggles of this world notice that jesus doesn't say get rid of your struggles or avoid your struggles, or there are going to be no struggles. No, if if you're, if, if you're going to stick with us here as we get into the upper room discourse, he's going to be very clear. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. If I struggled, you struggled. If I have a cross, you're going to take up a cross. No, Jesus is saying that we're not immune from the struggles of this world, but rather we can look to something greater. Rather, there's another law at work. That we have the resources to overcome them all in Christ Jesus. The other way to say it is all that we need has been accomplished in Christ. Now this is Easter, obviously, and so the, the, the resurrection is on our minds. Jesus was troubled and saw it through You see, if Jesus was troubled and he just went to the cross, that would be good, but not enough. If Jesus was troubled and he bore our sins, that would be good, but not enough. If Jesus was troubled and he died, okay, that would be good, but not enough. And if Jesus was troubled and was buried into the grave, that would be good, but it wouldn't be enough because the trouble that you and I would have was wondering whether it was sufficient, wondering whether those bones in the ground were actually going to work, wondering how Jesus was different than all of the other high priests that came before. How Jesus was different than all of the other lambs that came before because all the other high priests and all the other lambs, they died, their bones are in the ground somewhere. So Jesus was troubled, but he rose from the grave. He demonstrated that he kicked death in the teeth, that he uh, was victorious over death, that we no longer have to wonder, is death the end? But rather death is just the beginning because there's life after death because of Christ. If you were here on Friday night, he secured for us our our eternal redemption. What is this eternal redemption? I'm glad you asked. Because it's exactly where he goes in verses 2 through 4. Believe in God, believe also in me. In him, in my father's house, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I would not have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself and where I am, you may also be. Outside of death, what's our greatest fear? That we're going to have a roof over our head, food in our bellies, and clothes on our back. Right? That's, that's the fear. Am I going to be taken care of? That's the because we can handle a lot as long as we can be taken care of, those basic needs. What is our eternal redemption? God taking care of us. God giving us all of that. He is going, he is leaving us, not just to depart from us and leave us wanting. No, he's, he's leaving us to prepare a place for us. The disciples see Jesus' departure as this issue, as this weakness, as this moment of fear and anxiety. No, it's an advantage He's going away to prepare a place for you and I in his father's house where there's many rooms, but he is going so that he can return. And one thing is like, what more can we ask for? Regardless of what happens on this earth, regardless of how much money you die with, regardless of the size house you have, if you have a house, regardless of whatever you accrue this side of heaven, it doesn't matter because if you have Christ, You have a room, a dwelling waiting for you. And listen, if you're worried that there's not gonna be enough room for you, if you're worried that as you see the name of Christ be spread and more people come to believing in him, that you think that, uh, oh my goodness, I'm gonna get kicked out of heaven, or if you worry that that you're not gonna be good enough, clean enough, or whatever enough, no, there's room for all. There is a room waiting for you in heaven if you have placed your faith in Christ. Just think, as we wrap this up, about the stark contrast between Jesus coming to earth and us coming to heaven. When Jesus came to earth, there was no room for him in the end. Mary and Joseph had to go to a stable. The world didn't want them. The world didn't want them because the world hates the light again. He was an outcast from the very beginning. When we go to heaven, we should be staying in the stable. Let's be real. We're we're dirty sinners only redeemed by God's grace. And yet he puts us in God's house and gives us ample provision. This is the message of Easter. It's one of hope. Because Christ rose from the grave. We don't have to have a troubled heart we can rest in the finished work of Christ. This morning, um, my wife Amy was was reading out of a book that we both love. It's called uh, Thoughts That Make Your Heart Sing by Sally Lloyd-Jones. Highly recommend it. They're just, they're small um, poems or articles. This one's called Finished. Here's what it says. Just before he died, Jesus shouted from the cross, it is finished. What is finished? Jesus was saying everything. Everything you need to come back home to God. Everything you need to be free and happy in God. Everything you need to live forever. I've done it all. It wasn't a cry of defeat. It was a shout of victory. The great work of rescuing us was finished. There's nothing more you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. It is finished. I know it's Easter, and so I know that, you know, there's some faces in the room that I don't recognize, and I'm excited that you're here. But I know that walking into a church can raise some anxiety in our souls because, again, we feel that discomfort. We're not enough, and we know that we're not enough. But listen, when you walk into this church, and when you hear the gospel, the gospel message is not do more, be better, try harder. That's bondage. That's bondage. That would be me not loving you. That would mean me hating you. That would, mean, that would mean that Jesus would say, stop being troubled. Stop it already. And it would be up to us. Now the message of the gospel is you can't do it. You're a sinner. You're broken. Trust in the one who did it perfectly and rose from the grave to tell us about it. It makes me think of Psalm 46. And instead of running from God in fear and anxiety, we get to look at God as our refuge and our strength and our very present help in trouble. As we turn our attentions towards communion this morning, the second sacrament that we get to participate in. Maybe you were that person that was coming to church in a long time. First time in a long time. Maybe you were here to see a baptism. Um, maybe there's just something in your soul that just said, I, I, I think we need to go to church today. And this is the first time in a long time that you're hearing the good news of the gospel. I would encourage you To place your faith in Christ, to lay down your work, to lay down what you're doing and run to him because he'll care for you, because he'll accept you. Not because you've done anything good or bad, but because Christ has offered his righteousness to you. He'll declare you good, not because you are good. He'll declare you righteous. He'll declare you fit. He'll declare you well because Christ is willing to declare and give His righteousness to us. I I would just ask today that you would place your faith in Him and stop trying to fix your own troubles, but let Christ do it. And if you're here today and you have placed your faith in Christ, even if it's right now, I would encourage you to partake of this table with us. Because this table is a celebration that we get to look outside of ourselves and say that the life that we need to, that we had to live, and the death that was required of us is not found in us but it is found in christ but if you're here maybe it's still suspect maybe you you want to you know you were wanted to be friendly and you were invited to church and didn't want to say no and all this stuff is up in the air and you still haven't placed your faith in christ i would ask you this just let the elements pass you by we're not going to judge you we're so thankful you're here but we don't want them to confuse you the reason we don't want them to confuse you is because these elements don't save you. These elements point to the one who does the saving. But afterwards, come find me. Because if you have questions, if you have thoughts, if you have fears, if you want to walk up to me and go, that's all garbage, that's fine, we'll talk. But I would love to proclaim the grace of Christ personally to you this morning. Let's pray and we can take these elements together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for, your, for the cross. Thank you that we can sit here as your people and look outside of us. Thank you that we can bring in our weary souls, our troubled hearts, our anxieties, our longings, our wonders. And we can come before you and rest. And that the proclamation that you have has come all to me who are weary and heavy laden. And you won't reject us. You won't break the bruised reed. You won't kick us out. No, you will do nothing of the sort. You will offer your grace indiscriminately to us all. Lord, thank you for this moment when we can celebrate our risen Savior. In your Son's name, amen. (music)